on the lost words of God with texts that we don't know. And today, Jim's going to be leading us through the book of Philemon. And if you're not familiar with this book, it's in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through. It's a letter from Paul, very short book, only one chapter. You'll find it right before you get to Hebrews. So if you will, open your Bibles, and let's continue in this time of worship with a reading of the book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. To Aphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place but I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed may not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even for your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, since I am confident of your obedience. I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So the lost words of God, uh, we're in our second one. Last week we talked about the book of Leviticus, which is not really a surprising thing that we don't know all of the stories that happen in that book. This one is an entire letter from the Apostle Paul. And I get that there are other letters that Paul writes that have a more robust terminology. For we are all by our nature, objects of God's wrath. 
But because of God's great love for us, the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. I love that book, and I love that language. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace in the redemption of Christ Jesus. Oh yeah, I love stuff like that. That's Romans chapter 3. So I get that Ephesians or Romans or maybe even the consider yourselves not as important as others, but take on the attitude of Christ who in the very form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself and became the form of a servant. And that's Philippians 2. It's just rich. And then there's Philemon, a really short book that instead of having like robust and profound deep theology in words has that same robust theology in action. I I don't know why it slipped away more than the fact that it's just kind of a small letter, but it's one that I think the church needs and needs especially today. In a nutshell, the book of Philemon is Paul's instructions to someone long ago that still rings, through to, still rings true today in this. The Apostle Paul believes that he knows how a fellow follower of Jesus Christ will act, not by societal standards, Not by just the way, you know, humans, how you can just almost predict how they're going to respond. But no, because they are a follower of Jesus Christ, I know, I know him. I know Philemon. How well do you know him? Here's what I know most about him. I know that he has experienced the grace and the love of God through Jesus Christ. And therefore I know, he can prove me wrong, But I know that he, when given the opportunity, will act like Jesus Christ. Presumptuous? It's how the Apostle Paul works and lives and writes. I remember a time in which I began to realize that that same kind of, I guess, just Christian expectation existed in my own life, in my wife and I's lives. There was a new ministry that was starting in Stillwater a number of years ago, and they heard that we, a church that cares deeply about discipleship, might want to partner with them. That ministry was called Light Bearers. And they had a gentleman that was going to be coming and be spending a lot of time and was wondering if anyone in our congregation had a spare bedroom, a place where this gentleman, Clark, could come and could just, you know, just place to lay down while he's doing work here. Andrew and I had space, and so we said we'd be glad to open up our home to him. The first time, I never met Clark, but our first encounter was him saying, hey, by the way, I'm not going to be getting into town until late, and so um, I don't know what we're going to do. It's probably even after midnight. And so I just said, well, here's our garage code. Bedroom's upstairs. Sheets are on the bed. If you, or uh, uh, what are they called, towels and stuff are on the bed. I, hopefully everything is going to be in place and we'll be asleep. Hopefully, will I see you for breakfast? And he said, yeah, I think so. And Andrew and I are kind of lying in bed. It's about 10.30 at night. And I'm just kind of adding it up. I just, 
gave a complete stranger our garage code. Notice I didn't give it to you. I gave our complete stranger our garage code and just assumed that, you know, since he's a follower of Jesus Christ, like, I know him. Crazy? Now, by the way, I mean, I, I knew people who knew him, so there were other things that were falling into place, but it was just one of those moments where I just had to stop and in a small way, I promise, I get that it's small, but in a real way, like what I believed about someone else's commitment to Jesus Christ had very real and practical implications. Can that be said of you? And there's two sides to this. One is, is that that's, that's how I operate. I believe that I can know a lot about an individual when they say they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Like I, I think I can know, like, like I know how they manage their relationships. I know how they deal with adversity. I know how they, I just know. And the reason why I know is because I know of their commitment to Jesus and it says a lot about them. It also can turn around and be, you can know a lot about me. You can know a lot about me. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm someone who is very aware of my sin and my rebellion against God. I have been told the good news of Jesus Christ, and so I have found peace with God by faith, by trusting that what Jesus Christ did, which I could not do, I am now reconciled to God. My sins are forgiven. And therefore, in light of the fact that I've been forgiven, I'm, I'm willing to, as I saw on a yard sign the other day, I'm quick to forgive because I'm somebody who's been forgiven and you can, you can trust that about me. Is that true? Is it true about you and your expectation of others? Is it true about you in terms of your relationship with others? And that's the book of Philemon. I think it's a, it's a good time for us to revisit this book because there's a lot of doubt and cynicism and skepticism in our relationships. There's a lot of confusion in terms of how we are to relate to one another. And so I love this book. I think one of the reasons why this book has been somewhat pushed to the side or neglected is because of the controversial topic. It's, a, it's about a master and a, a servant-slave. We don't know exactly what that dynamic is. There's one thing that we do know is that the kind of slavery that is described in the Bible is radically different than the kind of slavery that we are aware of over the last few hundred years. Slavery based, based on ethnicity. No, but in the Roman world, and much of the Roman world was made up of slaves... But it wasn't based, you, you literally could not tell which people, by the way that they looked or even by the way that they dressed, whether or not they were a slave. Many of them could rise to rather interesting positions as they worked for their masters. Many of them actually volunteered up their, their life and their services looking at their complete inability to care for themselves and their families would sell themselves into some kind of relationship with a master for, for care and protection, especially in a world where there was no one looking out for you. 
we don't know the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, other than the fact that Philemon was his master and Onesimus. And this word, it's, there's kind of a range of meaning everywhere from servant to slave, but definitely there is a, this kind of relationship. And many within the world at that time considered their servants or slaves as nothing more than property. But Paul knew about Philemon, and he knew the most important thing about Philemon is that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And therefore, as he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, he assumes a lot about what's going to happen when they see each other face to face. Well, what I thought I would do um, in light of the fact that, you know, John Calvin and his deep influence over our understanding of the Bible, he was a 15th century uh, theologian, 16th century theologian, who was teaching a lot on different Bible books. And a lot of his interpretation of this book has kind of skewed the direction of it. And I think in light of what how Philemon should be read, there's a lot of very interesting scholarship that's been done to say, like maybe some of the preconceived ideas that you and I might have about the book of Philemon are not actually even in the text. And if we're going to reestablish the word of God in a powerful way, then it's good to say maybe we need to kind of clear up some of our thinking that doesn't find its best evidence in the Bible. So I don't know where you are on your understanding of the book of Philemon, but here is the traditional understanding of the book of Philemon. And it begins somewhat like this. Number one, that Onesimus was Philemon's, and I'm going to emphasize this, runaway slave. How many of you have heard that? He's a runaway slave. Yeah. Yep. By the way, nowhere in the text does it say that. Nowhere in the text is Onesimus described as a runaway. To keep a runaway slave for longer than 30 days would actually bring down judgment upon the person who would harbor somebody like that. So you had a certain requirement. So should Onesimus had been a runaway slave, Paul would have not only risked himself, but everybody that was around him, some pretty severe judgment upon him. But actually that language isn't even found in the text. Number two, he was a thief and stole from Philemon. Okay, we, we don't actually have that in the text. There is this statement that's found in the book of Philemon where the apostle Paul says, and if Onesimus owes you anything, Philemon, if he owes you anything, then I want you to charge that to my account. And for that reason, as we're trying to put together, and it's hard to do this sometimes, as we're trying to put together the historical background between Philemon and Onesimus and the apostle Paul, okay, well, if you had to escape and you had to try to get away, okay, you're going to need things, so he probably, it makes sense. It's just not in the text. It's just not in the text. Number three, and this is where it gets interesting, Philemon lives in the city of Colossae, which is in what is in modern-day Turkey. And so one of the questions that scholars have always asked that have had this traditional understanding, how does a runaway slave get from Colossae all the way to Rome, and not only that, how does he find the Apostle Paul? I, I know what you're thinking. Isn't God amazing? And he is. <laughs> he is. He is amazing. Could God orchestrate that? Sure. Without any, without any problems. Except, 
Like nowhere does Paul go, wow, and talk about the strangest of coincidences, Philemon. I meet your slave the other day. Paul is in prison, and we don't know if that means that he is in prison or under house arrest. I believe it's more under house arrest. How, how does Paul get to meet this one under house arrest? It's not like he can freely move about. So there's some questions about this that Paul stumbles, or that Onesimus stumbles upon Paul while he's there. This one thing is universally agreed upon, number four, is that Paul then evangelizes Onesimus, shares the good news of Jesus Christ with him, and then sends him back to Philemon with this letter. I found your runaway slave, I know that he stole a bunch of your money, and now I've converted him to Jesus Christ and I'm sending him back, welcome him back, love him like a brother. That's kind of the traditional understanding. And again, hear me, using the text as maybe a better way to understand the historical background, because it really shapes the content and tone and the interpretation of a letter, maybe this is a better way to understand the material that we have. So instead of him being a runaway slave, let me give you another option. Number one, that the church in Colossae, where Philemon is having the church meet in his home, and that church in Colossae that is caring for the Apostle Paul, who is in prison under house arrest in Rome. When you're under house arrest or in prison, your responsibility is to take care of yourself. They don't say, hey, you're in prison, but the good news is we will take care of you. No, you're responsible for taking care of yourself or your family or some community that loves you. And so Paul would be refreshed. Paul would be cared for by churches who love him and have to send resources to feed him and to care for him. And therefore, a lot of the I have been refreshed by you language in both the book of Colossians as well as the book of Philemon might better be explained as this, that the church, with Philemon's approval even, sends Onesimus and maybe others to help Paul in prison. That's how he finds them. Hey, Onesimus, I, I want to give you these things, and I want you to go and take care of the Apostle Paul. And Onesimus does this. That's how he finds Paul. That's how he's serving with Paul. He sends him. Onesimus is not, at that time, a believer in Jesus Christ. And so he travels. Philemon knows where he is, which explains a lot of the, you know, just the lack of evidence that he was a runaway and the, oh, and you'll never guess who I ran into the other day kind of language. Number two. That Onesimus then overstays his allotted time. The part that we don't know, and the text is rather vague in this, is that there is a reconciliation that needs to take place. There's the, we need to reconcile a runaway slave to his master option, or we need to recognize that there is a reconciliation of someone who has not done exactly what they were supposed to do, and because of the master-slave relationship, it would be common, actually, in that day for there to be a mediator to come in just to make sure that that relationship was properly mediated. Even if you were being mistreated, it was allowed within the Roman system for slaves or indentured servants to go and to reach out to someone else in their community to say, listen, like my master is really hard on me and is pr producing great pain on me and my family and I need help. That actually existed within the Roman system. So Paul is acting like some kind of a mediator, but instead of it being this runaway who was a thief, it is more likely in terms of their connection and their meeting together 
that he has overstayed his welcome. He has stayed too long, maybe kind of being there and realizing, I don't want to go back. <laughs> like, I'd rather stay here with Paul. And now the Apostle Paul saying, listen, as, as the letter clearly states, love to have you. I, I, you'd be a tremendous benefit to me. We can't do this any other way but the right way. I need to send you home. He needs to agree to this and then come back and you can serve with me. It appears to be greater evidence. So then number three is the same on both sides. Paul evangelizes Onesimus with the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing what faith in him looks like, and then sends him back to Philemon with this letter, and not just with this letter, but I also believe with the prison epistles, because you don't just, you know, send, you don't just lick a stamp, right? And no, 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 it's, it's complicated. You need someone to carry these letters back. And so it's maybe likely that what we actually have is, is Onesimus going back to the church at Colossae with the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon as he is now returning home. I got a couple of letters for you. Philemon, this one's directly for you. And, and by the way, this one needs to be read at church on Sunday. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae, a church that he did not himself establish. Paul's language, both here in Philippians as well as in the book of Colossians, is, is, goes like this. I hear about your faith. So being an evangelist that was doing a tremendous amount of work in Ephesus, there is an understanding of the church in Colossae. There is at some level a relationship with Philemon, but it doesn't look like they were best friends. It looks like he knows of him. He knows that the church meets in his home. He, well, and then there's a bunch of stuff that he... Paul, I think, would say, I know this about Philemon, but if we were to push him on the language, he would say, well, I guess what I mean is, I assume those things to be true about him because he's a follower of Jesus. He's, he's one of us. I guess if I asked Paul, can I give Philemon my garage code, he would say, sure. And so now Paul sends back this one who is in a strained relationship to one who has complete power and authority over him and says everything is going to be different now. All because of faith in Jesus. And not just Onesimus's, but Philemon's as well. Do you believe this? That our faith in Jesus foundationally and fundamentally reshapes how we look at all of our relationships. My peace with Jesus Christ means that I look at the world and the world's structures differently. I look at my enemies differently. I look at my family different. I look at the people that I work with in a different way. I look at people who are under me and people who are over me in light of Jesus and what he has done for me and for you and for us. And that's what the Apostle Paul assumes. And so when he sends them back, he gives this explanation. If you have your Bible, I want to go back and look at some of these key words. Again, there's only one chapter, so I'll be reading the verse number here. Paul's explanation of what he is doing, obviously he wanted to keep Onesimus with him, Felt like that wasn't the right thing to do. Look at verse 13. I wanted to keep him with me. 
maybe explaining the reason why he overstayed his welcome. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. This lang- the language of this book is going to um, surprise or shock your, your modern sensitivities of how we communicate with one another. Uh, some of the language is, is rather pressing. Um, it's full of uh, slightly to moderately exaggerated speech. Paul describes himself not as a slave. It doesn't even get to that level. He describes himself as a prisoner. He will refer to himself as an elderly man here in a few seconds. He, he describes himself as being in tremendous need. And then he says, and, and by the way, one of the reasons why I kept him is because you're not here. This is a really common way for people to speak. I won't just say in ancient times, in a time and in a place, because that place still exists in much of the world, where, where obligations in terms of relationships just means a lot more. In our hyper-individualized and separatist culture, I feel like I'm bothering you if I'm asking you for a need that is tremendously great in my own life, and I go out of my way to try to find or excuse any kind of obligation that you might have. You know, I haven't eaten for 12 years, and I know you have 400 Big Macs, but just, I hate to ask you for one. Like, that's how we talk. But in other parts of the world... They, they just believe, doesn't this sound crazy? They just believe that because we live in the same community, that there are things that we can ask for or expect from one another. Be- because we're both from Stillwater. Be- because we're, we're both human. And the circumstances that go on around us just demand that we recognize I'm going to have needs and burdens. I'm going to need help, and so are you. Can I just say, I wonder if a lot of the anxiety that exists in our culture is because even people in families believe that they are one decision away from having everything around them completely crumble. And I I think almost all of us, when when I think about marriage, Um, Listen, like before you get married, make sure that you're able to take care of yourself. Make sure you're able to provide for yourself because we don't think your husband or wife can do that for you. I hear Christian parents talk like that. Before you ever get married, you better get a degree. Why is that? Well, because I don't know what he's going to do. You need to be able to provide for yourself. Well, that sounds like a wedding I would like to go celebrate. And, and what you're thinking right now is, yeah, but uh, that's the real world, Jim. I don't know what world you live in. I know I live in the real world, and this says it doesn't have to be that way. That's what this book says. This book says it doesn't have to be that way, and then this book says is that there is a, when I say growing, it's not just numbers, but there is a growing group of individuals say, and we do not live that way. Like, I'm going to treat you in a way, in light of Christ's relationship with me and with us, and and, and I'm not actually going to just 
take care of my own. Like, I'm not going to be that way. Because I can't be that way, because that's not how God treated me. You don't think a lot of our anxiety is based upon the fact that there are people that feel like they are one decision, somebody else's, but maybe their own, one decision away from being completely alone and helpless. Yeah. If I felt that, I'd be freaked out all the time too. Paul doesn't believe that. Paul doesn't believe the church in Colossae is like that. Paul doesn't believe Philemon is like that. A lot of um, awakened Christians, how could Paul send Onesimus back to Philemon? How could he do that? I'll tell you how he could do that. Because he believed as followers of Jesus Christ, everything was different. Paul goes on to give in his explanation, look at verses 9 and 10, so back up a little bit. Paul, I Paul, an elderly man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, which Philemon knew all of that, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, and I became his father while I was in chains. He wants Philemon to know that the one he is going to receive back, he needs to receive back in light of the gospel and in light of a decision that Onesimus made. Like, I, I want you to know that while I was here, and while I was serving, and while I was under hardship, this transformation happened, I, I believe, to the one that you sent to care for me. And so as I send him back, and he comes back, and you see his face, a lot of things might be triggered in your mind. A lot of responses might be boiling up. Well, you've been gone too long. How dare you? Did you ever consider? And, and Paul wants him to know that when you see his face, I want you, as we're going to see here in a moment, I want you to see my face. I want you to see the face of Jesus. Look at verse 14. The Paul also explains this. But I really didn't want to do anything without your consent. So that your own good deed might not be out of obligation, which Paul has no problem doing, but of your own free will. The Apostle Paul is aware that as much as he can demand, it is better that Philemon process and respond out of the work of the Holy Spirit leading him in his own life. That it's one thing to command it. And as the, we're going to find out, the Apostle doesn't mind doing that. But it is better. It is better that our relationships flow out of love and appreciation. So what are Paul's expectations? We find those in this letter as well. Here are Paul's expectations. Number one, the Apostle Paul in verses 8 and 9 explains. I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right. This really sounds like Paul when he's writing to the Corinthian people and says, listen, I, if there ever was a time where the Apostle Paul is pulling out his capital A Apostles hat and saying, I just, I want you to understand like how this relationship works. Like I'm an apostle, capital A in this moment. Like I'm an emissary of Jesus Christ and therefore I speak with authority. I need you to listen and I need you to then respond. So Paul says, I have great boldness in doing that, Philemon. But then he says, but I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. 
Paul's ready to command, and he is more ready with Philemon to call him to an ethic of, of, of recognizing and then responding to Onesimus in the shadow of or in the light of Philemon's understanding of his relationship to Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm not going to command you on this one. I'm going I'm to call you to this. I want you to think through this. Before we have any conversation about what you have to do, I want to first measure your heart in terms of what you should do. Are you aware, before a command is ever needed, are you aware of the, the responsibility or the obligation of love that exists between one another? Or do you only know how to do what is commanded? Or have you grown up? This is an issue of maturity. You can grow up and do it out of love. As a, as a parent, Andrew and I were never afraid to give our kids obligations. I would say to my boys when they were really, really young, I can control you, but I would much rather you learn to do these things. I would much rather, like I can, I can dictate, I can, I can so corral you, or, but as you get older, like those things change. And same spiritually speaking, there are the commands of Christ that come to us. And there are some of us that still need to be taught the, the very simple and introductory commands of Christ. And then there are those of us that grow up and, oh, oh, oh I know what you're going to say, but before I even go there, let me tell you what I was thinking. And instead of it being this strict obligation to meet the standard that Christ has given, I can just see how there's so much more that I can give. There's so much more that I can do. There's so much more. One way that you can begin to tell whether or not Christ is being formed in you, the Holy Spirit is leading you more, is whether or not you need commands to live or you're able to respond to the Spirit's leading in your own life recognizing the love of Christ for you and then naturally loving others as that response. Paul says, I'd much rather it come from you. Verse 17, the Apostle Paul, in terms of his, his expectations, so if you consider me a partner, which I believe Philemon did, I want you to welcome him, that'd be Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If you and I are in this, Philemon, and I know you think we are, then when you see him, I want you to see me. And then verses 15 and 16, Paul's expectations. He's kind of explaining maybe why all of these events took place. Paul postulates, for perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time. So that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. As a dearly loved brother. That's the degree to which the Apostle Paul just looked at relationships in a fundamentally different way. Like Paul was constantly doing this with people, trying to help them see that in light of the gospel, everything is different. Like, I, I don't know how they're gonna treat you at work, but now that you're a believer, I know how you can find strength in, in working in this monotonous, rather difficult place. Like, yeah, you're right. I can't control society. This is one of my concerns, is that even, even Christians and church leaders particularly want to go out and change society. And so I get mad, and I, I write against society, and here's what's wrong with society. There's a place for that. 
But in this book, this book doesn't just critique society. This book calls up Old Testament, children of Israel, New Testament, people of God. It just says, I don't know what the world is going to do with slavery, but here's how we're going to handle it. We're going to treat one another like brothers and sisters. Like, I don't know if I can make the world love and honor wives, but this is what we do as Christian men. Like, I don't know if I can make the world try to teach their children to honor and respect their parents, but this is what we do as a church. Like, I don't know if I can make a law demanding that this is how much you have to pay, and this is how much, notice how, and this is why I find it fascinating that Christian people, when they get kind of trapped within societal structures, no wonder they get depressed and frustrated and overly cynical. But can you imagine if just, if those of us, because we live in the light and the shadow of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, just naturally looked at every relationship as fundamentally different? Can we do that? Like, can we trust that to be true? This isn't planned, so I hope this works out. Would you guys mind just standing up real quick? Oh, yeah, you, right? The ones I'm looking at. Yeah, no, you're not visiting today. I see you quite often. Um, this is Waylon and Rachel. I, I know you. And I know of your love for Jesus. Am I crazy to assume that you will like stay in your marriage even when it gets difficult? Am I crazy to assume that because of your love for Jesus, that should Waylon ever make him a, actually should Rachel? Because that, that one was easy for us to go. Oh yeah, Waylon. But this one should Rachel ever like you would seek reconciliation. You would seek. You would be quick to forgive. You would be loving. Like, could I believe that that's... I'm not saying that there aren't mistakes and troubles and struggles and all of that, but, but I can believe, right? Like, I can believe as a brother in Christ that because the two of you are both followers of Jesus Christ, that your marriage is going to look like the gospel and that you will treat one another like that. Am I, am I, am I right in assuming that? Because I do. Do you get it? Like, do, can you actually believe that? Caleb, stand up. I know you, but I don't know all of your relationships. And so if I, if I nail this one, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I might get this right. If there's a relationship that you're in right now that is just really, really strained, and I'm just going to assume it wouldn't be your fault. It'd be theirs. <laughs> Can I assume that as a follower of Jesus Christ that you'll be a peacemaker in that? Can I just assume that you wouldn't just walk away? That you wouldn't just, you know what? I don't care anymore. That, that you wouldn't do that. Could I assume that should someone come up to me and say, here's what I did wrong against Caleb. Could I send him or her back to you trusting that when the two of you see each other face to face, that you will act like Jesus. Can I assume that? Okay. See, that's, that's what it means to be church. And I know what people are going, yeah, but you can't expect that of everybody. 
Actually, I can. I genuinely believe we should. I genuinely believe that it is our obligation to to assume that, not just to think the best thoughts about one another. No, that's, that's not, the Bible doesn't say that, but the Bible does seem to rather consistently call people to the confession or the allegiances that they have made. And if you have confessed and sworn allegiance to Jesus Christ, then it would be wrong for me to assume anything other than what Paul assumed here between Philemon and Onesimus. It would be wrong for me to assume that. I I don't know how much of the Gospels the church in Colossae had. But I'm going to believe that maybe they knew this. That in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this statement. I wonder if Paul is thinking, okay, Philemon, well, he knows Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Yeah, that's Philemon. And if it's not, it should be. I don't know if I was actually praying with Philemon, so I guess I can't say I heard this come from his mouth, but for sure he knows the Lord's Prayer. We say it every Sunday. And so I know that Philemon, and there's no way Philemon would just say the words and not mean them from his heart. And forgive us our debts as we, as we have also forgiven our debtors. If Paul knows that Philemon prays that prayer, then he's got to know how Philemon is going to respond to Onesimus. And you and I live in a time where relationships are, stray, are, are estranged, um, marriages are, are ripping apart. And what, the one thing that I, I now begin to know about people is that even when I presume the best, they often disappoint. But I'm still going to assume, especially for those who swear allegiance to Jesus Christ. I'll continue to write letters like Philemon or give speeches like Paul to Philemon Believing that it will go right or be right. Believing that those who need to repent will repent and those who need to forgive will forgive. Because that's what Christians do. And therefore, every relationship can be restored. To hear Christians speak just like the world with disposable marriages and disposable relationships it should not be said of us. So Philemon's headed back. Work with me on this. And he has in his hand two letters. One written directly to him, Philemon. And another, the book of Colossians. I don't know if Onesimus knows what is in that letter exactly, but I want to close the sermon with a reading from that text, and I can just imagine that Onesimus walks up and gives him the two letters and says, hey, by the way, Philemon, this one is to you, and this one is to the church. I want you to read it on Sunday. And, and before you and I have any conversation, you might want to read this one from Paul first. Because on Sunday, this is the one they're going to read. 
And I, I want our relationship to work, and so I'll let Paul speak. And Philemon reads that letter. And the whole time he's reading that letter, he's like, yes, that is so true, and yes, that is so true, and Paul, I will so do that, and I will do so even more and more. So that when Philemon shows up for church on Sunday, and whoever's reading it reads this, Philemon just has like this joy on his face. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, meeting in Philemon's house. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, Philemon, sitting right beside Onesimus, so you are also to forgive and above all else put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. And Philemon stops for a moment and says, I'm so glad I read Philemon first. For I have a brother, not a slave. Because I understand my relationship with Jesus Christ. And it has changed the way I look at everything else. As we gather around the table, may it shape the way that you look at everything.